As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for joining me on this extremely truncated week. Uh, the Bills will be heading back to Detroit for the second time in five days. And yeah, it's, uh, it's a very short week, complicated by all the moving parts of the previous week. And, and certainly, I think the Bills will be very pleased once... Uh, they are through this Thursday's game and, and then actually get like a, a full week, kind of a full week to uh, maybe not even chill out, just kind of reset. And because, you know, I, I would anticipate that considering all of them moving their operation to Detroit unexpectedly, then coming back for basically a cup of coffee and then going back out to Detroit, it's got to mess with uh, with your body clock, where, where you're at, and everything like that. So I'm sure they'll be very glad to be done with it by the end of it. But there is a game uh, ahead where the Bills are going into a Thanksgiving Day game for the third time in four seasons. The first Thanksgiving game, just to take a, a trip down memory lane, was the Dallas game uh, back in 2019. And that was the first game in Josh Allen's tenure that I remember thinking, okay, he might really be something. And it was just one of those marquee days um, that you always, when, when you think back to how the quarterback came to what he is today, that's always one of those games that I think back to and go, okay, that was a big moment in his career. I mean, he completely took over leading up to that that game. It was just kind of, he wasn't really that overwhelming player. He just uh, had some flashes here and there, some inconsistency along with it. But once he, uh, once that game showed up and then, you know, continuing on into the playoffs, losing in the first round, mind you, but 
showing that there was something a little bit more about that quarterback. So that Thanksgiving Day game in Dallas was always one that uh, that kind of stands out. But this is uh, last year they played in New Orleans. That was an absolute blowout. Um, as we remember, the highlight or the the major story of that game was Tredavious White's torn ACL. But the Bills were going up against a Saints team that was featuring their backup quarterback. It just wasn't a fair fight. So this will be the third time the Bills are on Thanksgiving in four years and on the road on Thanksgiving in four years. They will take on the Detroit Lions in the yearly classic in which the Lions host a Thanksgiving Day game. It will be the afternoon tilt starting at 1230. And one of those one of those matchups that you know maybe you have to think twice about, but we'll we'll get into that as we kind of march forward. But I wanted to start off the show with some maybe bigger picture stuff that kind of involves what could happen this coming week. Uh, I just got done going through the All-22. The the fun part, well, maybe not so fun, depending on how you look at it. Uh, the fun part of a short week is that you have to get all of a week's worth of stuff done in like a couple of days. And so yesterday was spent watching yesterday being Tuesday was spent watching all of the, uh, the coaches film from the Browns game, because of course that, uh, that was something we needed to learn from a little bit, but then going through and, and doing the grades and coming up with the takeaways and then watching some lions film and, uh, and then, you know, going to practice also in getting, my ducks in a row to write the preview for the game coming up. It, uh, like I said, very fun if if you like the whole football thing. But uh, but yeah, it was a lot condensed into one day because Tuesday is the first day that the coaches film was available. So it was just kind of a a uh, <laughs> an absolute um, push towards just one day of of big work. But we got through it and. Uh, and now we have some things to kind of discuss from from how it looked against the Browns. Now, I the one thing I mentioned, I think, on the previous episode about the Browns run defense, and I think it's worth noting because this is kind of how we're going to start the conversation, that the Browns have the worst run defense expected points added of the 2022 season. They are nearly three times as bad as the second worst team in the league. And if you want to look at it on a historical context, the Browns have the fifth worst rush defense expected points added since the 2000 season. Like, this is really bad. And that's according to True True Media. So, take that and maybe the Bills overall performance with a bit of a grain of salt just because of the opponent and how much the opponent has struggled throughout the season. Regardless, this was the first time that we saw the run game really kind of get going and they found a lot of success up the middle. Uh, that was one of my my biggest takeaways from 
from watching the film and, and dicing up exactly what they were trying to do. But along with it, I think the improvements along the interior offensive line was one of the biggest developments to me. You know, we we chatted a lot about Devin Singletary and James Cook on the previous episode. And obviously, because they both get 86 yards, they are a, a big focal point of that. And certainly, the way that Ken Dorsey schemed them up and how Aaron Cromer, the offensive line coach, helped the, uh, helped the blocking scheme throughout the week, it all adds to it. But after watching a game on broadcast... You don't really get the true sense of what an offensive line is doing until you get your hands on the end zone view of the coach's film. It's it's why the Gotta Watch the Tape Award is such an important thing of the postgame shows. Usually in jest, but hey, the uh, <laughs> sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of times it, it provides a lot of merit into what you're seeing. And for me, the the biggest development of that game, especially after a Viking, the Vikings game where the offensive line kind of let the Bills down in the second half, specifically as pass block blockers, but just in general, it was not a good second half from left to right. The the biggest disappointing factors of that second half against the Vikings in terms of the offensive line was Deion Dawkins, uh, Roger Saffold got beat a bunch, Spencer Brown was uh, probably had his worst game since the Miami game in which he uh, had to be be taken out of the game due to heat illness. So it wasn't an ideal showing. But against the Browns, I really liked what they were able to do both from a pass blocking and a run defense perspective. Now, the run defense is the piece where you're like, okay, they they should be able to win that matchup against that defense and those defensive tackles because the Browns have one of the worst collection of defensive tackles in the league. So they should have been able to do that. But the way that they did it, the how consistently that, that they did it. I mean, the NFL is a really good league and... When you have opponents, even if they are struggling, they will, every now and again, pop for a pretty good play. Even if your team is still dominating them. It, like the the up and down throughout a game is real within the NFL because teams are usually pretty close. And talent level is pretty close because the NFL does a good job of finding talent through the college ranks and elsewhere. But the the way that one player in particular to me has kind of stepped forward, not even just against the Browns, but over the last, I want to say, six games or so, has been Ryan Bates, the starting right guard. It was... A really bad start for Bates this season. And I'm sure you're, you're probably sitting there going, going like, okay, why are we talking about Ryan Bates on the preview episode? But it's important because the first month of the season, 
the guard position was a nightmare for the Bills. Roger Saffold does, did not live up to the expectations of his signing and maybe even his reputation of being a good starting guard in the NFL. I think time has just kind of caught up with him a little bit, and we have seen him be pretty consistently be the the worst of the normal starting five. But the Bates thing was a surprise because the way that he ended the last year through those final six games in which the, the Bills' offense were just awesome. Basically, from the time that Bates entered the lineup, Against the against the Patriots in New England, that was the starting group that kind of took them forward, and he was a big piece of that puzzle and had a really great stretch down down uh, down the end of that season. But for whatever reason, I think part of it might have had to do with the blocking scheme that they were trying to utilize early on in the year. It just didn't suit him, or maybe. The Cromer techniques just didn't really click in that first month of the season. Because he was one of the lowest graded players on my All-22 film review that you you can find every single week over at theathletic.com. Which, by the way, the grades and rankings are posted right now over at The Athletic. But the, the way that he has responded, basically since... October began. I think it was the Steelers game where he started to settle in a bit more. Bates has been one of their best offensive linemen behind really only Mitch Morse. And that is so important because for them to be able to be this two-dimensional offense and to set up a defense the way that the Bills did to the Browns, to open things up in the passing game. Having the at least two-thirds of the interior line being a dependable piece to the puzzle is so important for them to be able to get opposing teams to commit to the ground game. So Bates was awesome. Like when, when you watch his film back, I mean, the pass blocking was great was really in control for most of the entire game. The run blocking part piece was good too. Every time he was in a one-on-one matchup, it seemed like he was able to control his defender and kind of turn his his uh, assignment the way that he needed to. The when they asked him to do some combination blocks, being able to hit the initial player and either get off to the second level or be the one that contains the uh, the original defensive lineman so uh, either Morse or Spencer Brown could get to the second level. All those things clicked for Ryan Bates. And just a, a really, really nice addition to what they're trying to do. Because Mitch Morse has been great all season. Spencer Brown has mostly been solid outside of a couple of games. Like I said, the Vikings game, the second half, he did not look good in pass protection. But I do think Spencer Brown is a better run blocker than a pass blocker at this point. And then Deion Dawkins, who's 
been kind of up and down the last few weeks, but I do think he, I mean, the the bank of work is there to where he is still a trustworthy asset. So that's four of the five that will get you at least average to slightly above average line play. And when you have the... 80% of your offensive line working in that sense, having them be able to force the issue with the running game just helps open up so many different things. We hear we hear Sean McDermott talk about the two-dimensional thing all the time. And there was a perfect example. And you can go see the, the still images of it because I thought it was such a... Like, this is exactly what... McDermott is talking about. This is exactly how to kind of unlock the passing offense. There was one play early on in the fourth quarter. The Browns were still kind of in the game at that point. But the offensive series that they were on at the time, the Bills had rushed the ball three out of the four, three out of the four plays so far and gained 27 yards on those three plays. So the Browns were like, okay, they're running, 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 running and having a lot of success, averaging nine yards per carry on that offensive series. So the Bills came out in 11 personnel, which is primarily a a passing formation, and the Browns were in like a a too-high safety look. Um, So Josh Allen was in shotgun, Devin Singletary was right next to him. And as the snap went back to Allen, Roger Saffold, the left guard, immediately went to uh, went to pull towards the right which brought the safety Grant Delpit it, he keyed on on seeing that because the Bills had been pulling at a at a very high level throughout the game Grant Delpit sees this immediately goes forward because he's expecting another run and then from that point forward we saw Josh Allen in a run pass option with Stefan Diggs to the right and then Isaiah McKenzie and Gabriel Davis to the left. Delpit was coming from the right side. And because Delpit committed to the run, Allen was looking straight at him. Allen pulls it back. All Stefan Diggs needs to do is to win on his route with a lot of cleared room towards the inside. The other safety is held in place on the other side of the field because there's two receivers over there and he's helping out his his cornerbacks. And it sets up for Stefan Diggs' biggest gain of the of the day, a 21-yarder. Just a just a masterclass of how that run game can help influence the passing game. And certainly something that I think the Bills want to replicate as they kind of move forward here. Now, we go back to the kind of the elephant in the room, right? The, the Browns having one of the worst run defenses in the league and the Bills really not being a consistent run offense to this point. The The bad news is that they're not going to see a worse run defense this season than, the, than what the Browns had. The good news is that this coming week against the Lions, they're going against the second worst run defense throughout the, the entire season. The Browns are ranked 32nd in 
Rush defense expected points added. The Lions, 31st. I think the Browns are at around negative 33. The Lions are at negative 11. So not nearly the same level, but you look at the defensive tackles that the Lions trot out there. I think it's Aleem McNeil, Isaiah Bugs, Michael Brockers. There's another one that I'm forgetting, but this is this is not an imposing group. And I think the interior of the offensive line can have more success in that way. The other piece is like, okay, they have four of the five offensive line, I think pretty settled. And Roger Saffold is the only one that is making you think, okay, could they potentially replace him? They love the veteran leadership by all means. They just don't have somebody on their roster at the moment that would serve as a better option than Roger Saffold. So I do wonder if this is kind of a hold in place scenario and the Bills, maybe they discuss it once Ike Butker is able to return to the lineup. He is someone that they've trusted in in the starting lineup in the past. It remains to be seen whether or not they would take that veteran leadership of Saffold off the offensive line, but I mean, anyone who watches the film can see this is a guy who has struggled pretty significantly in pass blocking, and this is a this is a pass first team. So, I suppose something has to give in that respect. But the offensive line kind of seems to be rounding into shape outside of that spot. And it remains to be seen what happens with Butker. And it's so important that Bates has kind of turned the corner here because they signed him to a four-year deal. He was going to be a piece of the puzzle regardless. They have committed to him. And if he can continue this same trajectory, that is so important to the rest of their season. So yeah, the offensive line play. Don't really dig into it as as much as I would like to, just because I think it's one of it's for me, offensive line play is one of the more underutilized uh talking points, I guess, within football, just because you have to really commit to watching it and and seeing like over the scope of a season, how these guys are performing. But I think it's just such an incredibly important piece to what the Bills are trying to do. And uh, it it is, it should be an encouraging thing to fans out there that for the most part, four of those five guys seems to be in a good spot at this point in the season, which only seven more regular season games to go before the playoffs get here. So it's a good time to kind of have those guys have figured things out by now. So the off- offensive line is a big thing. The other thing from the film that continues to kind of mystify me in, in the way that I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> once uh, uh, really throughout the, the rest of the season is at cornerback because Even though it looked bad in broadcast with Dane Jackson and Christian Benford, for that matter, I didn't think it would look as bad as it did on the film. Dane Jackson struggled in a big way. 
Christian Benford struggled in a big way. And that was a, a disappointment with Benford because he really showed some some good flashes against the Vikings that made you think, okay, maybe there's some starting potential there. But the rookie inconsistency was just all the way there. The Bills were without Kair Elam. They were without Tredavious White in that game. But these are still two uh, players in Dane Jackson and Christian Benford who the Bills have preferred to play at least half the time. Dane Jackson has been a full-time starter every game he's been available since the beginning of the year. And Christian Benford has split time with Kair Elam when Elam was available. And then this past game, he split time with Xavier Rhodes. But it's just more uncertainty at that cornerback spot that makes you wonder what this whole thing will look like by the time the playoffs get there. For a long time, the answer for whenever Tredavious White is able to return, and we'll get into that shortly, the answer has been probably Dane Jackson because the Bills have seemed, seemed to have commit to him as their full-time starter they don't. They haven't wanted to put too much on Kair Elam or Christian Benford's plate. But what we have seen from that trio of players, Jackson, Benford, and Elam, has just been inconsistent, inconsistency, unreliability, everything along those lines to where you think to yourself, Okay, who's going to be the starter when Tredavious White comes back? It does from the way that at least one of his teammates has talked, that being Stefan Diggs, who has spent a lot of time in practice with Tredavious White. It does seem like that Diggs is pretty confident that White will be back fairly soon. The Bills continue to say one day at a time, he'll be back when he's ready, when the team feels he's ready. But Diggs is fairly concerned that that should be quickly approaching here. So what week does that mean? We don't know. I think really the the only thing that matters is that White has some games behind him before the playoffs get there and whatever whatever that means whether it's this week against Detroit or next week against New England or the week after against the Jets or the Dolphins the week after that they've got some time here to ramp him up towards the end of the season and and into the playoffs and they've been able to get by with pretty good defensive efforts regardless so that's at least something on the periphery. I'm not convinced he's going to play this week against Detroit. I'm not ruling it out, but not convinced of it just yet because, you know, maybe they want to avoid that playing surface with Trey White. Maybe they opt for a more natural service in New uh, surface in New England the following week. Regardless, 
he has to be one of the answers at cornerback by some point. And then it's really up in the air what happens at the other cornerback spot. I do wonder because I saw in a very small sample size, mind you, from Xavier Rhodes, saw at least some good signs of, you know, a solid, consistent playing level from him in coverage. In a zone defense, he's not as relied upon to turn and run. That's just not his game anymore. He needs to be in in basically a not a a complete zone defense, but he's just not going to be the guy that sticks with a twitchy receiver down the sideline or over the middle of the field anymore. He needs to be in zones to where he can use that length and uh, his how he studies the opposition to his advantage. Because I do think there is some merit to having him in that system. But maybe he's worth another look. The Bills have one more standard elevation with Xavier Rhodes that they could they could use at some point in the year to get another look. Because you're allowed three this year. And if they were to do so, you know, that would be the their last look at him before they would have to sign him to the 53-man roster in order to actually play him on game days. But he's someone to keep an eye on, a veteran with tons of experience, tons of success in the past, has struggled in recent years, which is why they were able to get him on the practice squad to begin with. But it's at least another option because Saran Neal's not an option. We know that. Cam Lewis is not an option. We know that. Taron Johnson is their nickel corner. They're not going to amplify the problem by putting him on the boundary. Plus, Taron Johnson is a de facto linebacker on rundowns. So it's just a another little piece. They need one of these. Well, they need Tredavious White to come back, but they need one of these four other guys, Jackson, Benford, Elam, or Xavier Rhodes, to step up and certify themselves as the other starting cornerback because it's just been a bit all over the place um, this season, to be kind. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm going to bring this up without, you know, with plenty of context and certainly a, you know, not, not to get overboard with it but I have found it 
slightly eyebrow raising that before the game against the Browns and then again on Tuesday of this past week at practice when the media was allowed to see, my eyebrow went up when I saw Micah Hyde, the team's star safety, doing some conditioning work with the strength and conditioning staff. You know, we haven't really heard much about Micah Hyde since his neck injury, how he went to the hospital, how he had surgery, and then when he made his return to the franchise uh, to be around the operation in late October. That's really the last of it we've heard. So, you know, just observing practice, observing things that are going around. I went up and chatted with uh, with Micah Hyde after after the uh, after the Tuesday's practice because you know just wanted to see, just cast a line, see what's out there, and asked him if the running was just him getting uh, him getting back into the flow of things. And and he said, yes, uh, they cleared him to run a little bit. He said, finally, they did. But he mentioned that he's taking it one day at a time. But then I asked the question that I think a lot of people are wondering. Is there any possible hope of him coming back this season? Are they kind of hanging on to that at all? And the way that Micah Hyde answered it, did not close the door. I'll read the quote exactly. He said, I would love to. I would love to. We'll see. It's not really up to me. It's kind of up to the doctors. Historically, no. But I'm not dealing with those are other people, other situations. So we'll see what happens. That's not a no. Right there from Micah Hyde. There are a lot of... I guess... Things that have to go correctly. For that to even be in the equation. And more often than not... Players are going to be optimistic about their chances of of beating their, their return date. So that all needs to be considered when you talk about Micah Hyde. But the fact that it wasn't just a flat rule out is interesting. I'm not really going to go further than that than to say it's interesting. But it definitely... Especially the line when he said, historically, no, but I'm not dealing with, and then stopped himself and said, those are other people, other situations. It's just food for thought. Don't take, don't go overboard with it because, you know, he is one of the best defenders on the team and adding him back in the fold would be a humongous boost to their Super Bowl hopes. 
with due respect to Demar Hamlin, who's done a, a nice enough job in his place. But the fact that he didn't just give a flat no, I don't know. It's just just something to keep an eye on as we kind of move forward here. Uh, and like I said, the Bills are going to do right by the player. Hyde has said in the past that you know, the neck feels loads better and it's been something he's been dealing with for a while. So it remains to be seen what happens through the rest of the year, but it was definitely an interesting development to see him run before December even gets around and then to not rule out the idea of it completely. So I'm going to leave it there <laughs> because... It's not like I, I want people to go out there and be like, oh, Joe said Micah Hyde's coming back. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. But in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Micah Hyde, when I asked him flat out if there's any possible hope of coming back this season, it was not a flat no. So take that for what it's worth. You can see the quote for yourself uh, over in my five thoughts column at The Athletic. And, uh, and yes, I'm sure... People will be uh, keeping a, an eye on him because of how much he means to the defense and the team in general. All right, let's get into the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour. The uh, the Bills are up against the Lions this week. the The line on this game was pretty ridiculous last I checked um, in terms of the total. Let's see. The Bills are now nine and a half point favorites as of 9.55 a.m. on Wednesday, November 23rd. The total of the game is 54, which is a lot. <laughs> the, uh, the Bills and Browns barely hit 54 last week. Uh, and that took a late game touchdown from the Browns. But shout out the over for hitting last week for the first time in a long time. But the Bills and uh, Bills and Lions. When I look at this matchup, I, I think this is an opportunity. Even though the Bills are dealing with some injuries, like Tremaine Edmonds probably isn't, definitely not going to play. I'll rephrase: unlikely to play. He hasn't practiced. Sean McDermott called it a stretch for him to be able to make it. AJ Epinesa, same kind of deal. There, they might be without Mitch Morse. And if he doesn't play, then Ryan Bates uh, told myself and Matt Perino of Syracuse.com that uh, he's going to slide over to center if Morse isn't able to play, which probably means one of Greg Van Roten or Bobby Hart comes into the lineup at right guard. My guess would be Van Roten just because he has played more at guard than Bobby Hart has. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see if Morse plays and then what happens on game day. The other one is Greg Rousseau, who they haven't called a stretch to play, but he didn't practice on Tuesday, did not practice on Monday. It was a, a you know, kind of a short track. My inclination is that he probably won't play. And then Tredavious White is the other one where it's like, okay, is he going to be in or is he going to be out? Again, my guess is that he won't play, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does. So a few injuries, and even with those injuries, I really like the Bills 
to have a potential explosion spot in in this game because when I look at the Lions, they're they've won their last three games, yes, and they play hard for Dan Campbell. That's that's been a a staple with him wherever he has gone. I mean, when he was an interim in in Miami, I remember that was a tough. Those were tough outs for opponents. So the fact that the Lions have put three wins in a row here, great for them. Great progress. But I do see some flaws that the Bills, I think, can really exploit. I mentioned the run defense of the Lions being the second worst in the league this season in rush defense expected points added, according to True Media. And their defensive tackles are a big reason why I think the Bills can continue to build on that run game effectiveness that we saw throughout the the Browns game and being able to set up the pass. So that's a piece of it. And the Lions defensive tackles to me isn't a group that I think will give the Bills too many problems. Even still, they can't go into the game thinking they're just going to blow the doors off the Lions' interior defensive line because it's... I mean, they they barely just had their best rushing game of the year last week, five days ago. So I think they'll, they'll be up for the challenge, the Bills will. But where it takes it to the next level of being a potential explosive spot to where the Bills get way back on track is because the Bills left a lot of opportunities for touchdowns on the field against the Browns that I think they kind of took away from themselves. They wound up with six field goals. It was very reminiscent of their win over the Jets in New Jersey. I don't remember if it was last year. It was one of the last two years where they, I think they had six field goals and it was just for one reason or another, drive after drive, they just did not uh, capitalize the way that they should have. And it allowed the Jets to hang in, even though they were a bad team, hang in a lot longer than they should have. Actually, it was two years ago, if I'm remembering correctly, because last year was the Mike White game. And they absolutely <laughs> smoked Mike White last year. In New Jersey, mind you. But that is... That's kind of the game that springs to mind, and there was a lot of opportunity for more against the Browns that they that they didn't take advantage of. The Browns have a passable pass defense. The Lions, on the other hand, their boundary cornerbacks that they're going to be coming into in this game with uh, against the Bills have to be the worst starting duo throughout the entire league in week 12. They're likely not going to be without their top cover corner, Jeffrey Okuda, which means one of Jerry Jacobs, who has, I think, under 100 snaps to his name. Um, Let's see, the other options are Mike Hughes, who has really struggled this season. And then Amani Aruwaraye. I, I, I 
totally butchered his name, and I'm sorry. But he has been horrible <laughs> in pass coverage. He was a second-round pick, so should be a lot better than he is, but it's has not gone well for Hughes and, and the former second-round pick, which, out of respect to his name, I'm not going not gonna to try to say it again. So that's a huge opportunity. And specifically in the second half against the Browns, I saw Josh Allen settle in in a way that I hadn't seen since before the Packers game. Because we've kind of seen this different version of Allen where he's not really feeling the moment at hand in terms of like trying to force the issue rather than taking what's given to him. He's been escaping the pocket a little bit too prematurely for my liking over the past few games before the Cleveland game. And it just has led to these uneven games. It's just, just been a his roughest stretch of the season so far. And, and even still, they have won two of those four games. But in the second half against the Browns, and really from probably say midway through the second quarter, through the end of the game, Allen was looked like that that same guy we saw earlier in the season. Looked poised in the pocket. The accuracy was dynamic. I mean, you heard me reference that that twenty-one yarder to Stefan Diggs that was set up by the run play. Diggs did not have a ton of separation on that play, and Allen just completely put it on him where it needed to be, and it helped lead him up the field for more yardage, even though the the cornerback was basically only half or a quarter step behind Diggs. It was an awesome pass. Then there was that that fireball to um, Gabe Davis along the left sideline for 28 yards. There are other examples throughout the game of of throws that you forget about like uh the Dawson Knox his biggest play where it was almost a fumble that was a great throw by Josh Allen and by the end of the game over his final 17 throws you've heard me say this before went 14 of 17 for 170 yards with a 10 averaging 10 yards per attempt which is outstanding so the when you look at the complete game results, statistics from Allen, you can go, eh, whatever. But that last 17 throw stretch, really impressive stuff. And so when they're going against with Stefan Diggs, who's one of the best receivers in the, in the league, and Gabe Davis, who has been a little uneven this year, but still think he's a good starting option on the boundary, working against... Two completely burnable boundary cornerbacks. I like the Bills' chances to put up a lot of points through the year. On defense, I think they'll have to be cognizant of um, Amon Ross St. Brown, who I think he's a serious candidate to be one of those guys that at the end of the game, you see him go, whoa, he had 10 to 12 catches? How did that happen? And that's just because Jared Goff targets him Underneath, over the middle, all the time. And St. Brown does a great job of, of getting open against both man and zone. He's just a, a really good player. But I think the, the Bills are going to try and keep them pinned. 
to where it doesn't allow St. Brown to get loose. So it might have might be a big catch game. We've seen that from the past with with some uh, some top receivers. But as long as the Bills limit the big play against St. Brown and the rest of uh, the offense, I think I think they should be able to handle their business and make Jared Goff get nervous in the pocket a bit. Lions have a solid offensive line, so it's not going to be easy. And the Bills are probably going to be, I would anticipate that they call up Mike Love from the practice squad to round out their four-person rotation. So it's not like they'll be full, have a full stable stable of uh, pass rushers from the edge. But even still, I think they should be able to give Goff enough problems with Von Miller and, you know, one of Basham or or uh, Shaq Lawson, and particularly Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips up the middle. I think that will lead to some nervous moments, some quarterback hits, and maybe some some errant uh, decisions and, and passes from Jared Goff. So all in all, I'm going to take the Bills to win this game, if you couldn't tell. I'm going to take the Bills to cover the 9.5-point spread, but I am going to take the under. Because 54 points, although fun, is a lot of points. And so I'm going to I'm gonna take the under in this one. Play it safe. I actually have the under barely hitting in my final score prediction over at The Athletic. I have the Bills winning 40-13. to Because I do think this can be an explosive game. I just wonder how many points the Lions can put up. With what they have on the offensive side of things. And I think... The matchup is definitely in favor of the Bills almost everywhere you look. All right. So there it is. Got the Bills winning, the Bills covering, and the under. And there's a lot to chew on with this game, which is the Bills' final tune-up before this three-game AFC East slog against teams who will likely have winning records at the time of the Bills playing them. We've got the Patriots next week on Thursday, December 1st in New England. The following week, they get uh, a week and a half to get ready for the Jets at home. And then the week after that, they get the Dolphins at home. And to be determined which day, whether it's on Saturday or Sunday, but uh, they will play that weekend, the Dolphins that weekend. And those are three big games coming up. So can the Bills use this? Because the Browns game was somewhat of a get-right game. Is this going to be the ultimate get-right game for them? I think there is some major potential for that happening based on the opponent. All right. That's going to do it for me. I I appreciate uh, you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Beat here. The Bills play the Lions at 1230 on Thursday, I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and and eat a bunch of turkey. Eat uh eat to your heart heart's content. It's uh I will be watching and uh dicing up that game and and getting you some some observations after the game and and uh, I will also bring you my uh my post-game podcast that evening as well. So Lots of podcasts all in, uh, like I said, it's a truncated week. Going to have it all, but uh, but yeah, should, should be a, a fun game. And I think the Bills have the potential to really put it on the Lions. All right. So thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Joe Piscalia, and we will talk to you after the Lions game. See you then.